welcome back to Seeking Rents, the podcast for another uh, quick daily update from Florida uh, from Florida's 2024 legislative session. Uh, I'm your host, Jason Garcia. I'm the publisher of Seeking Rents. Now, that name comes from a term in economics called rent seeking. And rent seeking refers to when uh, big businesses or other influential special interests use their influence to get laws changed in a way that lets them capture even more wealth for themselves um, at the expense of someone else. And my goodness, did we see a lot of rent seeking happening in the Florida Capitol yesterday? So let's uh, let's dive right in. We'll start with a bill we haven't discussed yet on this show or written about in the newsletter, but we will. This is a uh, Senate Bill 1260, and essentially what it does is impose a bunch of new barriers to ob- obtaining unemployment insurance in Florida. Now, before I get into the specifics, just a couple of things to understand. Unemployment compensation is insurance. Workers have earned it. They earned it through their labor. This is why you can't get unemployment if you didn't recently have a job and why the amount of unemployment you can get is based on what you earned in that job. This is not a handout or a giveaway, no matter much, no, no matter how much sort of right-wing folks want to use terms like handout instead of or hand up instead of handout. This is this is a benefit that workers have earned. And the other thing to know is that ultimately this is a zero-sum game. Unemployment benefits are funded by a tax on business that goes into a trust fund that is then used to pay out benefits to workers who are laid off through no fault of their own. It's a safety net meant to make sure that, God forbid, you get laid off, you don't suddenly lose everything and go back to zero in your attempt to sort of build wealth for you and your families. Every time you do something that makes it harder to for a worker to get their benefit or you cut their benefits in some way, you are cutting taxes for businesses. That's that's it. That's it. It's a straight wealth transfer from what it is a straight wealth transfer from workers to businesses. That's all these bills do. I, I will say this. Rick Scott, of all people, was at least honest about this. You might remember that back in 2011. He got the Florida legislature, I should say, he and the big business lobby, like the Florida Chamber of Commerce, got the Florida legislature to absolutely gut Florida's unemployment system. They cut maximum benefits for workers by more than half, and they imposed all sorts of barriers that were meant to frustrate and block workers from getting those benefits in the first place. Um, Okay, so back to Senate Bill 1260. There's a bunch this bill does, but I'm going to point out two things in particular. The first involves this concept called actively seeking work, and essentially federal law, which governs part of how unemployment works, uh, requires folks that are claiming unemployment insurance to also be actively seeking work. But it leaves a lot of room for sort of states to interpret what that means. And Florida, as a result of that 2011 legislation that Rick Scott and the Florida Chamber of Commerce pushed, um, interprets actively seeking work more onerously than almost any state in the country. I think it's one of for, for instance, I think it's one of four states in the country that requires a claimant to complete five job contacts or make five uh, job contacts each week with a new prospective employer and document it. Yeah, that might not sound, sound like a lot, but imagine imagine having to do sort of five contacts a week and document it while you're also, you know, caring for your child or a, an elderly parent or a, a sick relative or juggling a part-time job or something. Remember, Folks that that fall into unemployment often have other factors that are contributing to to why they're not immediately reemployed. Um, so so again, Florida already requires you to have to right, requires you to make five job contacts a week just to keep getting your unemployment benefits. But now, uh, Senate Bill twelve sixty would add to that requirement that you also 
that you also fill out one job application each week too. But what's especially petty and punitive about this is that you have to do this job application in person. Um, there is absolutely no reason for that other than to be obstructionist, right? Because here's the thing. The internet exists, right? There, there, it's no reason whatsoever to not allow online job applications. Now, the other thing this bill does involves something uh, something known as a, a skills assessment. Um, this was, again, initially part of that 2011 law that Rick Scott and the Florida Chamber of Commerce passed. Um, initially, uh, under that 2011 law, there was a, a requirement that any worker who wanted to claim an unemplo unemployment insurance payment, they had to fill out a mandatory skills assessment first. Um, this was a, a remarkably cumbersome uh, process. It would take between 30 and 45 minutes to do um, using a website that, you know, very often would not work as anybody who's been through uh, Florida unemployment, cl unemployment claims in Florida can attest to. This, this requirement, this one requirement, this mandatory skills assessment before you can make a single claim, knocked tens of thousands of people off the unemployment system uh, solely for that reason. This was so bad that uh, the Federal Department of Labor eventually signaled that it, this was illegal under federal law. Among other things, it discriminated, discriminated against people with disabilities or different language proficiencies, that sort of thing. It was an un... un illegal obstacle to obtaining unemployment, which just to re re remind everyone, again, is a benefit that workers have earned. Um, so the legislature actually acknowledged this in 2014 and, and took this mandatory skills assessment requirement out. They backed down on this. And now you can still choose to do a skills assessment if you like, but you don't have to do it as a condition of claiming unemployment. Um, this bill would bring that back. Now, Nobody, uh, not the Florida Chamber of Commerce uh, or any of the rest of their big business buddies, have explained how this would suddenly be legal under federal law. Um, I'm, I'm wondering here if the, the gamble is that Donald Trump will be president again by the time this gets challenged and that he won't have a problem with it or his administration won't have a problem with it. OK, so that's Senate Bill 1260. Let's let's move on to another bill. Um, this is one we've talked about quite a bit before, at least the House version of the bill, which is House Bill 433. In fact, we just had a story on on the newsletter about um, emails we obtained showing that the bill was literally written by the Florida Chamber of Commerce with help, it seems, from a far-right billionaire-backed think tank called the Foundation for Government Accountability, which just happens to be the same organization that also wrote another bill that would weaken Florida's child labor laws. Um, again, that's House Bill 433. But today we're going to talk about the, the Senate version of that bill, Senate Bill 1492. Now, Senate Bill 1492 is not quite as severe. The initial version of this essentially did two things. First, it uh, block it would it would it would have blocked cities and counties from passing workplace heat protection ordinances. Now, I, th I think we've talked about this before, but these are like these would be local laws that require employers with uh, with uh, employees working outdoors in extreme heat to provide like basic basic safety precautions. Like we're talking about access to cool drinking water and periodic breaks in the shade. And this is to protect folks like farm workers or construction crews or roofers. Um, Senate Bill 1492 would uh, make it impossible for cities or counties to pass laws like that. The other thing Senate Bill 1492 would have uh, initially would have done was erase local living wage laws all across the state, which you find in in most of the state's big cities and urban counties, and they, they they all generally require 
companies getting government contracts to pay their workers a few dollars more a few dollars more than the statewide minimum wage. Um, again, we've talked a lot about this. The idea here is, you know, uh, the 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 folks, you know, mowing the grass in your park or building your uh, building your courthouse should probably be able to afford to live in your community. So this was up in in the Senate Commerce and Tourism uh, Committee yesterday, and they actually stripped out the living wage stuff. They they took that out completely. Um, so that's that's good news uh, in. Unless, of course, you uh, pick strawberries or shingle roofs for a living in 110 degree heat. Unfortunately, still not so great news for you. Um, but it's a it's a little early to celebrate uh, this coming out because it it sure looks like this may have been strategic. This is a this is a committee, and I, I think we'll probably have more about this on the newsletter soon. But this is a committee that was sort of narrowly divided. It's a it's a four Republicans, two Democrats, and and. A couple of those members are kind of moderate lawmakers who are facing potentially tough elections. There's uh, Senator Ana Maria Rodriguez, who's from Miami and is a Republican, and Senator Linda Stewart, who is from Orlando and is a, a Democrat, sort of. Um, so this may have been a ploy to taking the living wage stuff out, may have been a ploy to get this through the committee, uh, you know, and make sure it doesn't fail on like a 3-3 vote. Um, and, and we may very well see some of this language uh added back later once Republican leadership has wider margins to work with. So that's uh, that'll be something to keep a close eye on um, as the session progresses. Um, OK, we mentioned this earlier, the the child labor bill, House Bill 49. This uh, this moved forward yet again. Um, this bill, just to recap, I know we've talked a lot about it, but among other things, would allow businesses to make 16 and 17 year old high school students work full time hours, more than 30 hours a week. Um, it would also essentially uh, it would eliminate restrictions and allow uh, someone to drop out of high school and become a full time worker the moment they turn 16. Um, again, written by that billionaire backed think tank, the Foundation for Government Accountability. But we've also seen a bunch of big business lobbying groups taking an interest in it, particularly the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association, which represents uh, the restaurant and tourism industries, like a bunch of uh, big chain restaurants like Outback Steakhouse and Olive Garden. Um, uh, as I I think I mentioned this, but it's been through all of its committees in the House. It's now ready. House Bill 49 is now ready for a vote in the the full chamber. It is beyond clear at this point that this bill is going to pass the Florida House of Representatives. And th this battle, the battle over this bill is going to be fought in the Florida Senate. Now, the, the Florida Senate has not moved their version of the bill yet, but, uh, but I actually just recently got some records through a public records request that show the Foundation for Government Accountability folks working directly with the Senate president's office, trying to get some sort of uh, some sort of uh, momentum on that bill will be writing more about those records soon, I expect. Okay, just uh, real quick on a couple more. Um, House Bills 1 and 3, uh, both are uh, were tentatively approved by the state House. Uh, these are big priorities of the, of the House Speaker this year. House Bill 1 would essentially make it, uh, would ban uh, children 16 and under, or I'm sorry, children under the age of 16 from having social media accounts. And House Bill 3 would, uh, would require essentially adult websites like Pornhub to have like pretty, pretty aggressive age verification processes in place. Um, you know, the, the, the debate on the floor uh, or the discussion on the floor on house bill one in particular was pretty, pretty funny in that um, the, uh, 
you know, the sponsor of the legislation adamantly refused to name any of the social media companies that would be affected by this bill, which of course are like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, presumably stuff like Snapchat and some of the others. And, um, I would assume TikTok would fall under this too, but but I don't know for sure. Um, partially because again, he won't name the companies. Um, it was really funny to watch the exchange go back and and him sort of get pretty uh, angry at the at the at the idea that he might be forced to explain the actual impact of his bill. It was also just sort of amusing in that it it seemed to reflect this like childish understanding of how uh, of how lawsuits work, as if you know by uh, by not saying the name of Facebook on the on the floor of the Florida House means uh, a court won't find that you are targeting Facebook um, because everyone is clearly aware that this uh, that this bill, particularly this, this social media bill, has enormous constitutional problems. It's got First Amendment problems. It's got contracts clause problems. It's got supremacy clause problems. This thing is like the moment it passes, it's headed to court. Um, you know, the, the the debate yesterday was around amendments. Uh, re the Republican majority rejected uh, several uh, potential amendments to the social media bill, like um, one would have required, would have allowed minors to have social media accounts if their parents consented. Another would have uh, lowered the prohibition age to to under 13. So, uh, you know, 12 and younger would not be allowed to have social media accounts, but both of those were rejected. Uh, the bill is, uh, the, the, both of these bills are likely to, to pass the Florida House um, imminently. And then we'll do one last one. This is a good bill. Um, and it's another one we talked about. Um, House Bill 133 uh, moved through its, through the House Commerce Committee yesterday. Um, this deals with uh, barbers and licenses. Uh, I'm sorry, barbers and cosmetologists, and, and helping formerly incarcerated folks who want to go into those fields, helping them get into it. It it basically does two main things. It says, um, you know, the boards that license these professions, it 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 prohibits them from using like an old conviction to deny someone a license to become a barber or cosmo cosmetologist. It also, and I think even more importantly allows you know allows people to use vocational credits or industry training certificates that they've earned while in prison towards the licensing training requirements um this bill has uh, has actually been around for a few years uh, but it has always failed to pass at least in part because one particular big business lobbying group has been fighting it quietly the florida retail federation um we sort of the, the retail federation is sort of best known for representing big like chain retailers like Walmart and Home Depot, um, but they also represent um, a bunch of for-profit beauty and cosmetology schools that charge um, some as much as twenty thousand dollars in tuition for for training programs to meet these licensing requirements, and so um, they have uh, been fighting uh, any sort of reform that would you know make it easier, particularly for people in prison, to to use use training programs in prison to meet these requirements rather than going and having to pay a bunch of money to a for-profit company to get them. Um, the bill was, uh, was actually changed at the, at the, before it moved through this committee to add another provision that essentially, um, got nothing to do, nothing at all to do with barbers. It, uh, it requires, it, it repeals a law that, that right now prevents restaurants and bars from employing uh, formerly incarcerated people as uh, as bartenders or managers. Um, it, it takes that that law away and sort of make it easier to to hire formerly incarcerated folks in in bars and restaurants as well. Um, 
it's it's a good change. I'm I'm glad it was made. It's it's sort of interesting that the the committee it moved through. The chairman of this committee is uh, is a restaurant owner, so you can sort of see how uh, how uh, this interest may have made its way into this bill. It's sort of a, a window into how uh, sausage making works in Tallahassee. But um, but you know, uh, it the more we can do to help folks, uh, formerly incarcerated folks, find find jobs and get employed and sort of build. Uh, build economic security for themselves uh, and their families, the better, the better, safer, and more prosperous we all really are. Um, okay, that's going to do it for for today. Um, as always, uh, we'll end with a plug. Uh, if you haven't already, the new, please sign up for our newsletter. Easiest way to find us is seekingrentsfl.com. Uh, subscriptions are free. None of our stories will ever be behind a paywall, but um, there is an option to pay for a voluntary subscription if you can afford one. Please, uh, please think about doing that if you can. Um, it helps us cover the costs of reporting expenses like public records requests. Um, okay, thanks again for listening, everybody. Talk to you soon.